We're back into uh, the, the story of Joseph um, in Genesis, um, and so track down page 49 and Genesis chapter 44. Um, just, just to set the scene um, before, we, before we read this chapter, you, you'll remember that we're, we're in the bit of the story where um, Joseph, having been sold into slavery by his brothers, uh, has arrived in Egypt and has had this dramatic transformation uh, whereby he has um, come to, to be appointed to sort of second in command behind Pharaoh um, and is overseeing um, the, uh, the bumper years of harvest, gathering in all of these crops uh, because he has um, anticipated uh, by interpreting Pharaoh's dream that, that famine is coming. Um, and uh, indeed it does come and then Egypt becomes the place to go uh, to, uh, to get food uh, because they have stored so much. And at this point, um, Joseph's own family, having been affected by the famine, have already come once uh, to seek food um, and received it from their own brother but didn't recognize him. Um, and uh, the first time they came without their youngest brother, Benjamin. Uh, and the second time, uh, Joseph has said that if they ever come back again, they must bring uh, Benjamin with them. Um, and what we're going to read is this second visit uh, where uh, Benjamin is, is with them um, and, and how the interaction takes place. Um, and, and if you were here last week, uh, as we looked at the story of, of Judah and Tamar, um, then the key thing this week is just keep an eye on Judah uh, as... Sam reads for us. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of this house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after these men at once. And when you catch them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this cup uh, the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to him. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. Why should we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said. Let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they, then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in. 
and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out through divination? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves, we ourselves, and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you, go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servants, though you're equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, we have an aged father. And there is a young son born to him in his old age. His father is dead. His brother is dead. And he is, only, and he is, only, is the only one of his mother's sons left. And his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us, we will go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and the Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Thank you, Sam, uh, for taking us through that reading. I do keep it uh, open in front of you if you've got it 
there, as we come to look at it, let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your words. And as we, as we listen to it, please would you help us by your Holy Spirit uh, to heed what you say so that we would be drawn ever closer to the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, now, I might have told some of you before about a friend of mine called uh, Will. Um, but if I haven't, I'm going to tell the story again because he was, he was, oh, thank you very much. He was um, having dinner. He was a student through in Oxford uh, and he was having some dinner with some of his mates from his university sports team one evening. But he kept being interrupted uh, because players from the Australian national rugby team wanted to come and shake his hand. That's an incredible thing, isn't it? Can you imagine? Uh, players uh, from uh, the Australian rugby team kept coming up to him while he was having dinner, interrupting him, tapping on the shoulder, getting him to stand up and shake his hand. And the reason was because this was back in 2001. Australia had been over for some matches. Uh, they were going to play some matches, and Oxford had managed to wangle a game with Australia. That, that's pretty good going, isn't it? Uh, obviously, Oxford's maybe a bit better than Cambridge in that regard. Now, a match like that, you might expect to be one-way traffic, but just before the interval, the Wallaby flanker, Mark Connors, do you like the way I said that, the Wallaby flanker? I have no idea what a flanker is in rugby. Anyway, for those of you who do, the Wallaby flanker, Mark Connors, threw a very poor pass, and it dropped. Whoa, that was a bit higher that time, Scott. It bounced right in front of Will. There we go. Look at that. And it came back up. And he got it. And he started running for the try line from deep within his own, uh, his own half. He started running. And he made it all the way to the end. And if you think I'm making that, I mean, it sounds incredible. If you, if you think I'm making it up, here's part of the Guardian newspaper's report on it up there. It says, the length of the field sprint that followed saw Will Ruby burnt off tune in one of the more memorable races seen at Ifley Road since Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, justly rewarding the dark blues, early inventiveness and spirit. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? You're just at university. You get to play rugby against Australia, and there's Will. He took the ball. He took the ball, ran the length, and scored. And that's why after dinner, at the kind of uh, after-match dinner, uh, the Australian rugby players wanted to come up to Will, shake his hand, commend him, and say, well done, Scott, here, you take that back again. That's how you pass the ball. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea about it. I'm going to take that off. Look, look, if you can imagine that for a moment, imagine the thought of that. If you can imagine even feeling, even if you're not into rugby, imagine the joy of that for a moment, because there, there was Will, you, you can imagine, a ball came to him, and his life, I guess in a little way, was just changed brilliantly, and if you can keep some of that kind of joy in mind as we come back to Genesis, because we're going to see here a life that's changed, and this time, not by a kind of a little ball coming uh, to someone, but by the grace of the Lord Jesus, three things Three things uh, we'll look at uh, this morning. The, the story itself, the speech that we hear, and I'll try and land it in some ways with the point. So uh, here's the first thing, the, the story. Uh, and the question that's really being asked in this story is, have they changed? 
Remember, if you remember, if you've been going through this series with us, when we last saw Joseph, he's in Egypt and he's in charge, and the famine is kind of hitting hard, sitting hard all over the world of the day, and even back where Joseph's family are living in Canaan. And in the beginning of chapter 42, we might jump around these chapters. If you want to, you can look up the references. But uh, at the beginning of chapter 42 in verse 1, Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to buy food. But not all of them. Verse 4 of chapter 42, you, you hear this. Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, uh, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Uh, those of you who are older siblings, the youngest always get let off with stuff, aren't they? They never have to do as much stuff around the house or the things. It's always you, but there's a bigger scale here, isn't it? Um, he wasn't saying because Joseph was afraid that harm might come to him. That's good for the others. The next few chapters, there's two visits to Egypt. And as they get there, the, the brothers meet Joseph, but they don't recognize them. And if you think, well, that's a bit strange, I'm not sure it is. Quite a few months ago now, I shaved my beard off. I think it was just the other week someone came up to me and went, ah, where's your beard? I said, it's gone, went months ago. I never noticed. It's funny things you don't notice. But even more so here, just remember, it's 22 years since they've seen Joseph. And they're probably assuming he's died a long time ago, and he'll be dressed and speaking like an Egyptian. But the outcome of the visits, they're a bit like this. At visit one, it's kind of, Joseph says to them, prove that you're not spies. I think you're spies. Prove that you're not spies. Come back here with this brother Benjamin that you talk about to corroborate your story. And until you do, I'm going to keep Simeon, one of your brothers, here with me. Make sure you do. Visit two, Joseph sets up Benjamin to look like a thief. And he says, he'll have to stay as my slave. The rest of you, free to go. What's going on with this story? I mean, is it revenge? Is this finally the time Joseph gets to have his revenge. But if that was the case, well, then why Benjamin? Because Benjamin's his closest brother, and he wasn't involved in any of the harm that was done to Joseph. So why him? And why do we keep getting told about Joseph's emotions through this story? Like in chapter 2, verse 4, you, uh, you hear uh, these, these words. Uh, we're told, Joseph turned away from them and began to weep. But later on, chapter 43 and verse 30, it says, deeply moved by the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. What's he doing? I think you'll get a sense of it. If you've got chapter 44 in front of you, just have a look at verse 17. Uh, Joseph says this, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. You know that feeling of doing something and it all goes wrong and, and feeling, I wish I could get to do that over again. See if there's a different outcome. So you're getting Joseph's plan. You, you see what he's putting on the table before him. You could put it like this. Here's Joseph's offer. Abandon your younger brother to slavery. Go home freely to your father. Tell him any story you want. See what he's doing? 
Joseph is setting up a rerun of what they did to him. He's setting up a rerun with Benjamin of what they did to him. The question's hanging there. Have they changed? If you were in trouble and needed someone to, to put in a good word for you, who would you want to step up and speak? Those of you who are younger siblings, maybe, would you, would you want an older brother or sister? Would you trust them? You got an older brother, an older sister. If you were in trouble, would you, would you want them to, to speak for you? Benjamin's life's on the line. Do you remember Judah? Chapter 37. He was the guy who, who, just while he was eating his lunch, managed to come up with a plan to sell Joseph as a slave. Remember Judah, beginning of chapter 38. He was uncaring, unjust, and cruel. Do you remember end of chapter 38? There was maybe just the beginnings of a hole that was punched in his darkness, but would you trust him? Would you trust a guy like that to, to speak for you? Because he's the one who steps up. And it is an interesting thing. There's no reason why you would, you would spot this. You wouldn't spot it just reading it. But it is true that Judah's speech that we've got here, it is the longest single speech in the whole book of Genesis interesting that, isn't it? Think about all the people in this book through whom God might have something to say. You think of Noah, you think of Abraham, all those, all those people who are held up as examples of faith, and, and Judah is the one who's given the longest speech. It's like God's highlighting him, saying, look, whoever you are, you want to listen to this guy. So that's the story. Have they changed? Here's the speech, and Maybe sum it up this way. What's going on here is take me instead. Uh, Judah talks about his dad quite a lot in this speech. He'll, he'll mention his dad 14 times. He'll say, my father. And as you go through it, let me just show you the kind of things that you, you learn about Jacob, first of all, in this speech. So if you go to there, verse 20... He says this, we have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. And then in verse 22, uh, Judah says this, we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. Favoritism, you'll remember, if you've been going through this series with his favoritism has caused all sorts of trouble and heartache and problems in this family. And as you hear that, you, you get the sense Jacob's still not learned about that yet. He, it feels like he's still doing it. It's just the favoritism's changed now from Joseph on to Benjamin. Verse 27, in some ways, though, I think is the one I find really gut-wrenching. You have a look at that. These older brothers, they're, they're about to leave for Egypt. And this, I mean, Judah, Judah doesn't put it in any kind of snide way, I don't think, but he just recounts it. This is Jacob's pep talk to them as they're about to head off. My wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, he's surely been torn to pieces, and 
I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. You feel the tone of it, don't you? I mean, Jacob knows he's got 12 sons, but you feel the tone of it. He doesn't quite say it, but you can almost hear it this way. I love him most. I'll cope if I lose you, but lose him, and I think I'll have lost everything. And that's the sense of it, isn't it? You, you just feel, if you had asked Jacob, you, I didn't mean it like that, but you know how those kind of things come across in families. You, you feel with Jacob, he's, he's still got some changing to do. That, that's Jacob, but, but look, now listen to Judah. Listen to how he speaks as he lands this plea he makes. Write down almost the last thing he says, verse 34. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No. Do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Do you hear that? Even with all the, the thoughtlessness of his dad. And, and just jump up one verse above that. Verse 33. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. Do you remember Judah? You met him last week. He, he could care less about his dad. Could care less about him. Now he can't bear the thought of his dad being distressed. Do you remember Judah? All the way back in chapter 37. More than happy, completely at ease with the thought of throwing away the life of his younger brother. Now he seems desperate to give his life in order to save his brother. How did that happen? I mean, how, how does something like that happen in someone? Friends, look, chapter 38 that we, we looked at last week, it is massively important in this story. You might have thought as we read it, why are we doing this? This is just horrible. It's icky. It's full of all sorts of yucky stuff in here. But look, what, what God did for Judah then, through, through Tamar and that whole thing, it set his life running in a new direction. He's now living. I was trying to find a way, way to put it. I couldn't really find a really snappy or succinct way to put it, but let me try and do it like this. The way Judah's living his life now, he's kind of living it knowing he's someone who needs forgiveness. That's how Judah lives his life. I don't know how you think about yourself, how you're kind of living your life, what kind of shapes it or motivates it in ways, but here's one of the things for Judah. He's living his life knowing he needs forgiveness. Just listen to him. Verse 16, as he, as he begins to speak to Joseph, he doesn't know it's Joseph at the time. He says, what can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. I mean, what does he mean by that? Judah knows Benjamin didn't steal the cup. He knows none of them stole it. None of them stole that cup. So why is he saying God's uncovered our guilt? I think he's saying something deeper. I think he's saying, look, whatever's going on here, I know fundamentally I'm a guilty person. 
And it's not just Judah, they all feel it. You can pick that up through the story as well. If you, if you ask these men, how do you think of yourselves? All of them to a man would say, we're, we're people who deserve God's judgment. We're, we're people in need of forgiveness. That's how we think of ourselves. And it's changed them. Back in chapter 37, when they sell Joseph, they, they dip his, his torn robes in some animal blood, and they bring back to, to Jacob with a story about a wild animal. And we're told Jacob tears his robes in great anguish and distress, and they all just stand around. Chapter 44, verse 13. You see it? You got it there in front of you? When the cups found in Benjamin's sack. See what happens? They all tear their robes in, in great anguish and distress. Do you remember this family who were falling apart, tearing each other apart? You get a little hint here. They're, they're united now. Common concern for someone else. Judah's not a man pleading his innocence. No, he's a man saying, look, I'm a guilty man. I've done all sorts of things wrong. But for the love of my father, would you please let me Give my life in place of my brother. Judas changed. There's a remarkable kind of kindness in him and, and a self-giving love. Maybe last week you looked at Judah and you thought, I mean, he is awful. It's a bit tricky now, isn't it? Because God seems to be saying to you, you hear this, Christian friends? God seems to be saying to you and me, you need to listen to Judah. Uh, cues for petrol the other week. Do you remember those? Do you remember when that was a thing? When we had to queue for petrol uh, the other week? I wonder how you responded to it as you were going through it. Perhaps you felt the panic. We're running out of petrol. I've got to get the kids to, to clubs this week. There's not much petrol in the car. I've got to get them to school got to get out there and get it. And you were sitting in the car and you were feeling rightly angry all the time that's been wasted. Maybe you had this experience as well. Do you know what it's like? You're queuing up for something like that and you see somebody coming down the side trying to sneak in. You know that experience? You know what you do at that point? What do you do? You just nudge your car as close as you can with almost touching the bumper of the car in front to, to make sure they don't sneak in. You're not cheating. You're not getting in here. Your children in the back saying, what, what are you doing, Dad? Why are you moving the car forward like that? There's somebody trying to sneak in, and we're going to stop them. And those of you who are younger, you spot if your parents do that kind of thing. Come and tell me afterwards if they do. <laughs> maybe that was your experience. Or, or maybe, maybe yours was a different thing. Maybe you were shaking your head at it all with the feeling of, aren't people ridiculous? There's not going to be a shortage for very long. It'll all be okay. People are ridiculous. Panicking like that, it'll be all right. Just be patient. And of course you feel like that because you do most of your traveling cycling, don't you? And if you've got half a tank of petrol, you could last for about six months. No problem at all. But you're still, you're still sitting there saying, people are, they're ridiculous, aren't they? Just be patient. I wonder if you've landed in one of those two. Judah, I think. Do you know what he would have done? I think he'd have been on the phone straight away, phoning up someone, do you need a lift? 
you need a lift? I've got some petrol in my car. And I, I just remembered, don't you have kids' clubs to get people to? Have you got school runs? Isn't there a hospital visit you've got? Please, would you let me use my petrol uh, for you? No, no, don't worry. Don't worry about if, if I run out. I'll, I'll sort that out later, but let me help you. Just for full disclosure, can I say that never entered my head until reading through this chapter this week. It's a bit humbling, isn't it, given what we learned about Judah last week, for God to have to say to us, you need to listen to Judah. Listen to this man. How do you get like that? How do you begin to be like this? Have you noticed the way if you... If you kind of feel pretty pleased with yourself, it's much easier to gossip about other people, to gossip about their failings, or, or just always be finding fault in whatever they do, as long as you feel pretty pleased with yourself. But friends, have you found since becoming a Christian and knowing that you're someone who needs God's forgiveness, have you, have you noticed that changing you, beginning to to soften the way you respond even to the failings of others. Back in chapter 38, Judah was convinced, and maybe for the first time, that he really wasn't a very good guy. He knows he needs forgiveness, and it's changed at the very least how he's responding to his dad. Judah's also part of the family that God made his, his saving promises to. And I think Judah knows now, it's not because of that he's been good enough or he deserves it or morally better. It's by God's grace. Dear friends, Christian friends, if you begin to hope the way God will treat you, if you begin to believe that the way he does treat you is not on the basis of what you deserve, but on the basis of his grace in the lovely Lord Jesus for you. Friends, God's saying to you in this chapter, that grace will start to shape how you treat others in need. Do you know that grace? Has that grace begun to, to shape you and flow out from you? There's a bit of an irony in this story. I don't know if you, you've got it, but I think you get it when you think about who Judah's speaking to. And just understand what he said. Judah, Judah offers to endure losing his life in slavery in order to be the savior for his younger brother, Benjamin. And he is saying that to Joseph, although he doesn't realize it. But Joseph, in God's plan endured losing his life in slavery in order to be the one who could save Benjamin and Judah and the whole world of the day, anyone that comes to him. Joseph is the Savior that God provided. Judah, I guess, in a little way, represents God's people. Do you see what's happening here? God's people on the small scale, God's people on the small scale are beginning to grow into the life and character of the Savior that God has provided for them. The kindness 
and the character of their Savior is, is beginning to sort of shine out from them too. We keep saying, don't we, over these past few weeks, that this story, oh, years and years ago in the Old Testament, but it has a, a Christian shape to it. It's got a gospel shape to it. A, a promised Savior who's, who's rejected by those who, who should welcome him, given up to death, but then God raises him up, able to save those who come to him. It's like the Lord Jesus, rejected by those, given up to death, but God raised him up in order to be a Savior. And as you as you know that and you read back into the story, it's like the Lord Jesus, as he, as he punches holes in the darkness of this world, he shines the light of his glory into the lives of his people. Even in the Old Testament, they change, start to become like him. Now, that's kind of the speech where, where Judas says, take me instead. But here's the point. Let me try and land it for us in some way. The, the point, I think, is this, Luke. It's the, it's the glory of of Jesus in you, Christ's glory in you. You sometimes hear stories, don't you? I don't know how you felt when you heard that rugby story, the guy getting the ball, running the length of the pitch. You sometimes hear stories like that. Or I do and think, oh, it'd be nice if that happened to me. Wouldn't that be good? Can you imagine? Something like that happened to you. Although with me, I'd be flattened in about three seconds. I wouldn't even start running and I'd drop the ball. But you imagine that. What what if I got something like that? What if something came to me like that and my life ran in a, in a new direction and it, it changed in some way? Wouldn't that be good? Friends, church, church family together, when, when I was praying for you this week, I, I did find prepping this hard this week, but I was praying for you. Go over a midsummer calm and, and, and praying. This this is the encouragement I was thinking about and struggling to bring across. God has handed you something more precious than a silly rugby ball. He's given you the gracious Savior. Does He want to change you like this? Yes. Yes, He does. Yes, He's committed to graciously making your life run in a new direction, one where the, the glory and the grace of the Lord Jesus, it grows in you and is shown through you. It was growing in Judah, wasn't it? Was it shown through him? Did this grace and glory, did it begin to shine through him? The Bible doesn't tell us it like this, but I, I think it's all right to speculate for a moment. Can you imagine Benjamin? Just imagine Benjamin for a moment. This little brother. Just imagine Benjamin listening to Judah speak for him. My older brother, without any hesitation, just offered his life for mine. Can you imagine Benjamin listening to that? And maybe, it might have been a couple of weeks later, maybe, maybe Benjamin was, was visiting with Judah. Maybe young Perez and Zerah were there as well, running around. And Benjamin said to him, Judah, why did you do that? Why, why did you say that then? Why, why wasn't there even a moment well, you didn't even seem to think about it. You just stepped up and said that. And I think you could imagine Judah saying, well, because I've discovered there's a God who's done that kind of thing for me. 
and I want to live a bit like him. And you can imagine, can't you, Benjamin thinking, I'd like to know a God like that. I'd like his kind of grace and glory to go on me and to shine out from me. It's good to have examples like Judah around. I look, dear friends, even here at Christchurch, we have many examples like that amongst us, don't we? We've heard already this morning, some of you won't have known her, but many of us are mourning the loss of Liz this past week. And you'll have heard, even, even as her life in this world was fading, she, she sought to spend it for others, sharing the good news wherever she had an opportunity, the gracious glory of Jesus. So dear friends, hear this. Her life did not fade out. It shone. It shone with him to the end. And it is brighter now than it has ever been. Do you want to grow like that? All of us here, church family together, pathfinders, graftees, those of us who are older. Maybe you feel a little bit, maybe you feel a bit more like Judah last week. Maybe not to the extremes, but maybe you feel not great. Bit of a failure. It's good to be humble. But hear the good news. If you feel like that, hear the good news of the gospel. The Lord Jesus who saves you, he says he, he will graciously take your life and, and grow it like this. That, that's his plan for you. So think about what he's done. The forgiveness he's won for you at the cross when he spent his life for you. Think about, think about that life. Think about that love for you. And pray that it will shape you and when it does, look, if that love begins to shape you, it will begin to shine out in everything you do. Just having a cup of tea with someone, you'll be thinking about them in a different way. And maybe as you go into school this week, there'll be someone that you can show kindness to, help out as you're at school. And we thought last week about the way Tamar, this young woman, was treated so badly. That kind of thing still happens too often today. After last week, someone posted on our church Facebook page information about a London charity that's called Tamar. It works directly with women who've been treated very badly. I'm going to send around a link in our newsletter this week about that. But look, there's just one other way. That might be a way that you could begin to show gracious concern for others as well. But dear friends, here's something to ponder as we draw to a close. The encouragement of the passage is, if God was not only able, but willing to do this for Judah, he's also able in the Lord Jesus and willing to do that for you and me. He wants to grow us with his glory and grace, grow it in us, so that it will begin to shine and be seen through us as well.